I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Today's guest is a big personality in the UK insurance sector who has been working in and around our industry for almost 25 years. After working as an insurance lawyer, an ombudsman, a consultant and a director at the Chartered Insurance Institute, Melissa Collett brings a really well-rounded level of experience to her current role as the inaugural CEO of InsurTech Trade Body, InsurTech UK. In this podcast, we talk about why InsurTech UK has been set up and what items are top of its agenda. There's a huge amount going on. The UK's InsurTech scene is the largest outside of the US, and the body already has 100 active members. There's a lot to lobby on. From the speed and effectiveness of regulation to the many unfair quirks of the UK tax regime. There are also government grants to help distribute and international agreements to be struck. Melissa is incredibly busy. But InsurTech UK is a very broad church and it's trying to be quite a lot more than just a lobby group representing members' interests. It wants to be a club or an ecosystem that convenes InsurTechs, investors, service providers and incumbents to further the goal of fostering innovation in UK insurance via technology. Melissa is incredibly enthusiastic and bursting with energy and drive. I really enjoyed my time with her, and I think you will too. After half an hour, you'll certainly be in no doubt as to what InsurTech UK is all about and how you can get involved. Enjoy the podcast. Melissa, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. Well, so am I. For anyone who doesn't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your career to date, sort of how you got to where you are now, and tell us about this new role of CEO of InsurTech UK. Great. Happy to do so. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Melissa Collett, and I've spent the best part of 25 years in and around the insurance sector. I started my career as an insurance lawyer. I didn't know that because obviously I know you from the CIIE, the Chartered Institute of Insurance in the UK. But anyway, come on. Well, then I moved on and I became an insurance ombudsman and I was there for over a decade. And that's effectively an insurance invigilator for disputes. And that's funded by the insurance industry. So it's a voluntary service within the insurance industry that most of the UK specific, the UK insurance industry funds and then gives binding arbitration and complaint resolution for the UK general insurance sector. Absolutely. So it's a quasi-judicial role and it evolved from a voluntary scheme into a statutory scheme under the Financial Services and Markets Act 2000. So I was there in that post-2000 phase and made these binding decisions across a huge plethora of insurance disputes. The entire retail sector and also micro-businesses as well came within my remit. So I've seen a lot over the years. Yeah, I was going to ask. Well, we should do a whole podcast about that. It shouldn't happen to an insurance ombudsman. <laughs> yeah, when I think, what, you know, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Um, worst behaviour by an insurer. I've seen quite a lot of behaviour, but we'll move on now because then <laughs> I want to talk about my next role, which was as an insurance consultant, where I worked with a company called Fair Finance to help companies with their complaint handling and the whole customer experience piece. So again, that was a really valuable experience. And then I moved on to the Chartered Insurance Institute, where I was an executive director. I focused on professional standards, and also I got involved with digital ethics. And that's how I got to become involved with the insure tech sector, because I started being invited 
to attend conferences to talk about the code of digital ethics that I and others developed at the CII for this new thing called AI. Not so new, but new in insurance. And then through that experience, I really developed a passion for InsurTech. I think it's the future of insurance. And so when this role came along, I put up my hand and I went for it. And here I am today. And how long were you at the CII? I was at CII for around five years. Yep. And I joined InsurTech UK back in September last year. Wow. So I'm in about month five of the role. September 2023. InsurTech UK... Is it right to say that this is the first time that InsurTech UK has had a full-time CEO? You're the first in the Yeah, post. so it's an organization that's actually been in existence for about five years. Yeah. And it was running through the help of a board, which is called a council, and that council steering an agency to provide the admin, the secretarial support for the organization. But it's been very successful startup, as it were, started out and now it's grown to over 100 members. And that's what I want to continue to do is continue to grow. So what's its prime function? Is it trade body, lobbying group, that kind of thing? Yeah. So a lot of people ask that and obviously that's critical. And so what I say is that we exist to make the UK the global leader for insurance innovation. And the UK is really well-placed because it's second only to the US in terms of innovation. It has the highest number of insure techs in Europe, more than all of Europe put together. And in terms of unicorns, it's second only to Silicon Valley. It has more insure techs per capita. Well, I've got a few stats I want to share with no, you. I don't so want I've you made to read a few, them. I've made I, a few you, notes. You can have some notes, but I've don't read from I've made a few them. notes about some stats that I really think is important <laughs> to share with you because these are, but it's a great these are the key stats. And actually, they come from our report that we launched in September last year with McKinsey, who is our principal partner. We worked together on a state of the nation report for InsureTech, which really sets out you know, what are the key stats these stats I'm sharing with you, and also what are the opportunities? So InsureTech is worth $20 billion to the UK economy. So that's really what the potential is. I often think that, yes, it's a very much a London thing, would you say? Um, but we're lucky in London, we've got a fantastic insurance market. We've got good venture capital. And also, we're sitting in an office which is a few hundred yards and sort of maybe five to 10 minutes walk away from the insurance district of London. But this is the kind of cool media techie hub part of, of London. It's a bit trendier around here. But there aren't that many cities that have that kind of ecosystem all in place. There's the money, there's the insurance market itself, which is also looking to engage more with InsureTech and the techie people. And then, of course, you, know, you go a few miles over there, then actually the government is here as well. So there aren't many places that are also a capital city that have the ability to get in a taxi and go and lobby someone this afternoon if you want to. It's fabulous like that, so Mark. it's kind of combustible mix. There's probably only someone like Paris has got that similar ability because, you know, maybe like Munich is not the capital city of Germany, but it's got an insurance hub, but you can't go and lobby the politicians without getting on a plane. Tell us about InsurTech UK. How big is the secretariat? How many people are working there? And who are the core constituents? It's InsurTechs. Does it tend to be InsurTechs that once they've matured a bit, once they have a bit of income? Yeah. So... For those listeners out there, we're sitting here at Silicon Roundabout, and that's why Mark is saying this is an area full of techie people. I think it's great, though, that we're very close to the 
insurance EC3, the insurance area of London. It's really short walk. And um, I spend my life just walking back and forth. And then, as you say, it's not that difficult to get over to Whitehall and you can even walk if you were so inclined. If it wasn't freezing cold today, you know, I'd be walking over there. So I'm getting a lot of exercise, Mark, in terms of walking around to all my meetings. And so it's a great boon for me. In terms of our organization, so we're over 100 members. So those are insurtechs. Yep. We cover a huge range. So we're talking like really tiny startups, one or two people, to fully regulated insurers like Lemonade. So we've got everything in between, all sizes and shapes of insurtechs, all types of insurtechs, ones that are doing insurance business regulated activities to those who are just focused on software for those businesses who yeah. are carrying out activities. So we've got those two types. And then we've got a huge range, whether they're focused on distribution, on underwriting, on claims, on fraud, just the whole range and covering PNC life and health, everything and everything in between. So it's a real broad church, which is fantastic. We also have 30 partners and associates working with us. So by that, we mean incumbent insurers like Aviva, brokers like Aon, Presumably big service providers. Service providers like McKinsey, we already mentioned, Clifford Chance from the law perspective, Deloitte's from the accountancy perspective, yep. and so on. So that's our ecosystem, but we're looking to grow because according to the McKinsey report that we worked on together, the number of insurtechs are estimated to be 280 in the UK. So with over 100 members, we still have plenty more to go. And I'm sure there are loads more that we just don't know about yet because... You know, and and those more formed. that haven't even been developed yet. So there's plenty of scope to expand and plenty of other people working in the sector who we want them to join us because we have a stronger collective voice together. So what's top of the agenda? What are you up to? So we've got a lot of things on our agenda at the moment. We are focused on helping our insurtechs get access to number one, funding, investment. So that's a big issue. You know, I think we're going to move on in a moment talking a little bit about the investment we'll climate yeah. for insurtechs. But just to kind of summarize the big top issues, the securing investment, securing capacity, so getting insurance backing for what our insurtechs want to do, partnering with insurers. So that's a really key thing that they sometimes struggle with. And, you know, it's vital for them to get that capacity. You're really like an association almost, that you're like a club almost for these insurtechs, that you're going to help them with everything. I'm glad you said the word club because that's how I'd like to see it. And that's how our members see it. They feel like it's a place where they can come, they can get support, they can get understanding, they can talk to each other. And you can spread best practice, things like that. So I don't know if it's standard contracts. That share kind of war thing. stories and work together and tackle problems together. That's the key. And what about on the lobbying side of things? Is there anything that's top of your agenda there? Because obviously that's where I'm sure insurtechs have got a slightly different, because they're new companies, they're coming at things from a slightly different place from a very large incumbent like Aviva, which of course can probably lobby the government anytime they want. But what about insurtechs? And of course they've got very different needs. They've got finance and they've got things like R&D and VAT and all sorts of you know sales tax and things that, that they might get hit with. What's top of your agenda in terms of trying to make a better environment for them from a regulatory perspective. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I'm here to tell you that Aventum Group is a debt-free, owner-managed specialty insurance group headquartered in London. 
Through our MGA platform Rockstone and broking platform Concilium, the group controls circa $1.5 billion in gross-ridden premiums across 16 global offices. The group is employee-owned, has no private equity backing, and is very much in control of its own destiny. Synergy is Eventum's partnership model, a platform for entrepreneurial brokers and underwriters to become shareholders in their own subsidiary. A platform that liberates trading teams from bureaucracy and admin and allows them to focus on developing and servicing clients. We believe the traditional employee-employer hierarchy is outdated, which is why our Synergy model is built upon trust and partnership and why all our Synergy arrangements involve real equity ownership from day one. Very different to the management incentive plans or MIPS that are now so common in our market. We are not a corporate organization and instead pride ourselves on the entrepreneurialism of our team and ability to have fun along the way. Our view is if you want to build something to call your own, have the lead on how you do it and create some meaningful value along the way, a Synergy partnership will give you an unrivaled route forward. For more information, please contact us at voi at eventumgroup.com today. You've already named some of the key topics, Mark. I think you're right in that there are a plethora of trade bodies, let's face it, in the UK insurance market, but there is a real gap when it comes to representing insure techs. And that's what InsureTech UK is designed to fill. We have a real niche to support these companies which don't share the same issues as the big incumbent insurers. They don't share the same issues as brokers. They don't necessarily even share the same issues with even though some of them are MGAs, with the more established MGAs. So there's lots of other associations, but we are all about InsureTech and their particular unique issues. Everyone's facing the pressure of regulation, but the difference is the regulation that InsureTech face, it's designed for other types of entity so for big insurers. not proportionate, really. So, for it? example, the solvency requirements just do not fit the InsureTech model. Okay, so that's one. I suppose presumably also speed of regulation. Is it not quick enough if they're waiting for licenses? Absolutely kind of right. Authorization of InsureTech has been incredibly slow and difficult, which is why there's only really one fully-fledged insurer, InsureTech, which is Lemonade, yep. which we just mentioned. So that's something that we are actively lobbying about because it's really important that the PRA understands the difference between your big insurers and a small and startup. And a lot of businesses sort of almost specializing in incubation and providing appointed representative sort of licenses and things, but that's not necessarily what everybody wants. Ideally, you'd be able to go to the FCA, that's the, the UK conduct regulation, and get a license pretty quickly. But that's certainly not the case. It's actually, there's a whole industry of people that's sort of renting you their own license. So there is that model out there. But again, what we're trying to do is help the regulators. We understand there's a learning curve here. The insure tech sector has only been around for eight years or so. That word was only coined that long ago. So yeah. we see our role as educating regulators in exactly what are the issues facing these startup companies as they grow in scale? What are their issues and how are they different from others that are more established in the market? Is anything improving? Certainly, I remember maybe even four or five years ago, the FCA was talking about the sandbox, that kind of thing. Is that real? Can you actually jump into the sandbox or do you have to wait so long to get in there that you've already run out of money by the time you get invited in? Well, that is a point because insurtechs are 
generally, generalizing, they are entrepreneurial, smaller companies. Funding is a challenge. And so they don't have a lot of time to wait around for these permissions. So yes, of course, there's an FCA sandbox. But if you compare it to fintech, there's far more fintechs that have used the sandbox than insurtechs. And what InsureTech UK is trying to do is carve out InsureTech as a sector in its own right. It's not a subset of fintech. It has its own unique challenges, unique opportunities. And that's where we're positioning the sector. And that's what our members support and back. And on regulatory side of things, we've had a change in legislation. This is to bring in a secondary consideration to the regulator to look at UK's competitiveness. I'm sure that's something you're all about. Have you seen any change in attitudes now that the statute books have changed the wording of what the FCA and the PRA are supposed to be doing? I think that we've yet to see the regulators taking this fully to heart, this secondary growth objective. And I think that obviously we're all about helping our InsurTech members to grow. So what we want to do is make sure this is taken very, very seriously. And what we'd like to see is specific and concrete targets about measuring, well, how is this growth objective being achieved and what's the time it's taking and what are the impacts of the time it's taking on companies who are trying to grow? So that's something that we've been pushing for in response to all the consultations that have been out there. And I think that it's worth noting that other regulators and other jurisdictions are actually falling over each other to try and attract insurtechs to their markets. So we need to be mindful if there's an objective in the UK of growth that they're keeping pace with some of these other jurisdictions. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head of Gibraltar, who has a reputation of being very speedy when it comes to authorizing. And certainly new- Bermuda and Singapore also have been making very similar overtures. And Absolutely. you mentioned two others. So I think UK regulators would do well to be mindful of these other challengers that our UK companies can use and open up their businesses in these places instead. You were talking about funding earlier. What's the current outlook? Obviously, we had a bit of a bubble or a bit of a boom, over-exuberance, probably related to zero or negative interest rates, perhaps, let's say. Everything's cooled down now. Everything's far more rational. What's the funding environment like? Presumably, if you've got a good idea, you can still get funded. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that, as you identified, I think the boom that was there, the fever that was around two or three years ago has cooled down. And the funding environment is a bit more challenging now. There aren't such huge sums knocking around. But again, like you say, I think the companies that have a strong model and a strong proposition are still managing to secure funding. They might need to work a little bit harder, but we're helping them to do that. And that's what we're here for, is to help companies and get them access and introductions to those who are looking to invest. Yeah, because when I was looking at the press release announcing you becoming the CEO of InsurTech UK, there was mention of you actually getting involved in trying to find funding. Explain to me what that's all about. There's Innovate UK. Is that a UK government fund? Yeah. So Innovate UK, I've been fortunate enough to have been on their advisory board when I was in my previous role, which the advisory board had the benefit of or the enviable role of having a pot of money and trying to decide what to do with it in terms of investing in insurance and financial and professional services and innovation in those areas. So InsurTech has been identified by Innovate UK as an area for growth. 
and the UK economy. So there is money available. And what we're trying to do is highlight the availability of this R&D funding to our members so that they can apply, you know, it's competitive, but they can access this funding. And we're continuing to do that. What kind of funding is it? It doesn't sound like it's a venture capital type funding. So it's a specific, you're already an entity and that can then avail themselves of a kind of grant or that kind of, is that yeah, how it it's works? Like, it's like Innovate UK is a government body that provides R&D funding for innovative startups and so projects. It's not like an equity, they don't ask for 5% of your equity or something like that. No, it's a grant. You get given the money. Sounds good. Well, that, I well, think I think there's obviously, it. you know, performance <laughs> metrics and it's a competitive process. But it's not just Innovate UK, but the Department for Business and Trade is also really keen to promote InsureTech as an export, as well as something that also attracts companies into the UK market. So it's something that we're working very closely with the department on a number of ventures in, in various parts of the world, because this is really seen as a growth area. I mean, just by way of example, I'm going to Australia next month as part of a delegation of insurtechs to visit the Australian market and see what the opportunities are there. And likewise, encourage those insurtechs in Australia to come and set up in the UK. This all is on the back of uh, the Australian-UK free trade agreement okay. that's recently been signed. So there's a huge amount of opportunities there for cross-border trade and insurtech. It's a global business. Oh, well, while we're talking about that, we should um, talk about what has been headline news is the bilateral deal. It's called a corridor, isn't it? Corridor, yeah. InsureTech corridor deal with the state of Connecticut, obviously with Hartford at, at its heart. You know, there's sort of one of the beating hearts of the US industrial revolution and the US insurance industry. What's that all about? Because that was a deal, was that signed last year or was that the year before, wasn't it? Can you show any of those tangible benefits? And so it sounds like you're going to be getting involved in supporting more of those bilateral type deals. Absolutely. So the Connecticut corridor has a nice ring Lots to it. Lots of corridors. It trips off the tongue, Connecticut corridor. It's all about giving our UK insurtechs a soft landing in the US. So as I'm sure you know, the US has 50 states. I come from New York originally, hence my accent. I'm sure you've all twigged that by now. Connecticut is a pretty now. good insurance state. It certainly punches above its weight in terms of how many US insurance companies are domiciled in Connecticut as opposed yes, to any other state. That's right. So a lot of headquarters are there. They call themselves the insurance capital of the U.S. And I've heard them say the world, but we had a little quibble about that. But anyway, <laughs> they're definitely a big capital of insurance. And they are very well organized. They're very interconnected there. So there are associations and their local trade development office and their universities and their insurers. and their Everyone's working together in this really harmonious ecosystem. And they are really keen to help incoming insurtechs. So that's why we signed an agreement with them so that our insurtechs can have a soft landing. They can establish themselves more easily in Hartford and then expand and scale up in other states from there as a base. Obviously, it's not at a national level, but it's almost a bit like a mutual recognition to say, well, we need to fast track these people because if they're already UK regulated, then we're going to presume them to be good for a Connecticut license, that kind of thing. Is that? That's part of it. I have actually met with the Connecticut regulator when I was on a, a mission to New York last year with Innovate UK and the Department for Business and Trade. And so they were explaining how, you know, they are very open approach to incoming UK insurtechs. So they're very keen to see them come. And so far, I believe 11 of our members, so that's almost more than 10% of our members have already made use of the Connecticut corridor. 
and are you know using it to establish operations in the US. So we just want to continue building that and we want to continue working with other states as well because different states have different types of insurance markets. Yeah. And so we've got a few other states in our sites who are really keen to encourage this inward investment from the incomers from the UK, one of which is Florida, which is looking, I'll give a shout out to Florida because they've just signed a UK-Florida free trade agreement. Yes. And I'm very pleased to say that InsurTech UK was invited along and I'm very upset that I missed that event because it would have been incredibly fun to go to Florida, but diaries didn't permit. But my point is that Florida are welcoming UK insurtechs, particularly those that are focused on claims and fraud. So that's something that we're going to be promoting to our members. Uh, but there's lots of other states as well that the Department for Business and Trade wants to get us involved to help work and build this cross-border trade. A couple of the obvious ones would be New York and Chicago both have their own kind of insurtech hubs. Any plans there or is that um, something we can't talk about? Well, like I say, we have already an existing relationship with InsurTech New York, yeah. which is like the New York equivalent of InsurTech UK. It's, a, yeah. it's an association. We attended their conference last year and... I think New York is obviously a very attractive market, but I think the difference for New York versus Connecticut is that New York has a plethora of companies. Yeah. It has plenty of insurtechs. So I suppose it's not as hungry for these newcomers as somewhere like Florida or Connecticut is. So each market's slightly different, but we're definitely exploring and making contacts and relationships with all of the key ones. Obviously, maybe California, who knows? But perhaps the paradox of California, of course, is the world capital, you know, Silicon Valley. It's the world capital of tech funding, but it's not necessarily the world capital of insurance. Because my own experience of, I did an insure tech event out in Silicon Valley, which was great fun, but it was a strange trip because there weren't actually many. I thought, well, I'll go and visit the local insurance industry while I'm here, but actually there wasn't much to visit, which is quite funny. So we're expecting more of those deals with nations, different states, different organizations around the world. So you've got Lemonade as a member here. There was an announcement. Lemonade's part of a grouping that's trying to get a US equivalent to InsureTech UK. Anything more to report on that? Is that something that's going to be a lobby group? That that was an announcement that was made four or five weeks ago. Yeah. So I saw your post on LinkedIn and you know that I commented on yeah. it. And it was very interesting to see that announcement. And I'm very pleased to say that following that announcement, I have had a number of conversations with the founders of the InsurTech Coalition, which is the U.S. body, pan-U.S. body, I should say, and we're going to collaborate. So watch this space. Particularly if they're up on Capitol Hill and you're in Westminster, then there might be things you could be working on together and try and coordinate things. Because I think they have similar challenges, put it that way, from what I've been talking to them about around regulation, around regulators understanding the difference between an insure tech and insurer and barriers to entry and problems with tax. Yeah, it's very similar. It's the same old thing. Yes. Anything else on the sort of regulatory and the fiscal front, which is on your plate that we need to talk about before we need to move on? Because the fiscal front is quite interesting because, of course, it's particularly on the fiscal, the tax side of things that startup companies really have unique sets of problems because they're trying to offset one thing against another. Whereas if you're a big company, you can do all sorts of things. But it's harder for a smaller company to do these things. They end up paying a lot of sales tax or things that they can't refund. 
That's right. So there is a, a little issue at the moment with VAT and IPT. Yeah. I don't want to get too technical. That's no, good. No, but it's interesting. So VAT, for anyone who's not UK, is uh, it's the UK sales tax and IPT is insurance premium taxes of the equivalent of a sales tax on insurance premiums. There's a subset of companies in our sector who, for one reason or another, they can't reclaim or offset the tax that other larger companies can. So they're kind of being slightly penalized, you know, because they are startups or they are smaller companies. So that's an issue that we're working on with a few members to kind of make HMRC, the tax authorities, aware and hopefully come to a better place. Well, that would be really good work because that's really valuable because obviously these are small entities that are burning cash and don't always have huge amounts of revenue yet. So a sales tax of 20% is a lot on stuff that you're buying or services that you're buying. It's a tax on innovation, basically. Yeah, well, good luck in getting rid of that because I think that would be really, really useful. Yeah, it's not overly technical and I think it's a really valuable thing. You mentioned before about your work you did with AI on the ethics of AI. Last year was quite interesting because these things are around, they can be around forever, you know, like environmental concerns could be around for a long time. And then suddenly it was sort of two years ago, is it suddenly ESG everything? ESG suddenly really permeated the, certainly the insurance industry that year. And it was probably something I had to ask a question about. Every podcast I did a couple of years ago, I probably had an ESG question and thought well, to, to keep everything topical. AI has really, really done the same as of about the first half of last year. Well, I know you've thought really deeply about it. How far do you think we'll ever go down this? And you're representing the cutting edge of technology within InsureTech UK. You've got any members yet who are saying we won't have any underwriters, we'll just have an algorithm or something? Well, I think that there used to be earlier on, when all this started in the insurance sector, there was a lot of talk about disruption. InsureTechs are going to disrupt and yeah, we, all, we all went to the same conferences. We said, <laughs> you know, Uber is a taxi firm with no taxis. Airbnb is a hotel company with no hotels. And, you know, we're soon going to have an insurance company with no capital. And of course, it hasn't really happened. So maybe, yeah, the sort of traditionists got their quill pens back out again and sort of uh, wiped their brows. <laughs> that was, we got away with that one. I've but, got to look for my quill pen. Where did it go? <laughs> um, I think that it, we've all moved on now a bit towards AI enhanced decision making. Yes. So using the opportunity that AI offers. And look, I think that we're already there. Brokers and underwriting are already using generative AI to price risk better and to secure better cover for their clients. It's already being used. So I think that InsureTech, obviously, it's changing business models because if you can do something digitally, if you can use an algorithm, you don't need as many people. Or at least you can have the same number of people, but they can be twice as productive. But well, no, do the positive way. I think you can enhance performance with AI, obviously. You and I both have kids who are entering the, the workforce now, and they've always been growing up with this concept that the jobs that you're going to have haven't been invented yet. And I think that's still the case with insurance. I mean, there are insurance roles that we don't even know what they're going to look like yet, but they're definitely going to involve using AI. That's the bottom line. So it's harnessing the power of this technology. I mean, I love the examples of our insure techs because I think bottom line, they exist to make the customer experience and the swiftness of payment, they exist to improve that. That's what they're there to do. So when you have one of our members like Floodflash, which are installing sensors at their customers' premises, so that as soon as there's a flood, a payment is triggered. 
So it's a different model because it's not an indemnity model of insurance, like where someone has to go out and assess, you know, every single bit of loss. They're not going to get the same kind of coverage, but they're going to get a slice of cover immediately. And so that's a different, but, you know, arguably a better, a better model and probably much more affordable. Yes. And I suppose, yes, ultimately, we're talking about eliminating a lot of friction and expense. And obviously, the lower we can get the insurance expense ratio, the more value we can give back to the client, can't we? The more of that premium can go on actually paying for insurance rather than the administration of insurance. It's got to be a good thing. When you were looking at ethics, what were the things that worried you most? Where do you think unethical situations might arise with AI? Well, I think we were worried about bias in algorithmic decision-making. But I think that we were worried about it because it was being deployed and governance was in its infancy. But now, like you identified in 2023, it was not only the year of AI, but I would describe it as the year of AI governance, because that's what the prime minister said. They want the UK to be the world leader in AI governance. And that's why there was a conference in Bletchley Park. So I think that AI governance or responsible AI or whatever you want to call it, ethical AI, is now very fully on top of the agenda. And that's why I think that people being conscious of bias is now got a much better chance of eliminating, reducing that bias than before, where it was just unconscious bias could creep into the decision making. If we've discussed everything, how can people get involved with you? What's the best way of getting in touch? And also, particularly if you're not an insure tech, but you're working in a broker, you're working at MGA, you're working at a balance sheet underwriter, how would you like them to be interacting with you? Well, we absolutely welcome anybody working in the insure tech ecosystem to join us. And there's a way of joining us, no matter who you are, whether you can you're, get involved as a partner. You can get involved if you're providing legal, consultancy, accounting, whatever services to insure techs join us as a partner. If you are an insurer, a broker, another more of an incumbent in the market, a reinsurer, join us as an associate. And as an investor, we're actually coming up with an investor membership model as well. So basically, we want to welcome anybody who wants to meet the InsurTech ecosystem in the UK. You are welcome. So you want to act as more than just a trade body or a lobby group. You want to be this big club, this big tent where people can come in. So we're a very broad organization, really. That's absolutely what we want to do. Sounds great. Well, thanks very much for letting me in the tent and having a chat. And uh, we'll make sure we check in because it sounds like you're going to be getting on with a lot of things in the next 12 months. We should book something in for next year as well. I'd like that very much, Mark. Let's do that again soon. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective, so get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. 
Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.